This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Personality tests are incredibly popular. Whether it's an in-depth one like the Myers-Briggs type indicator test or silly ones on Facebook, many of us enjoy taking these tests. So much so that some people even display the result of their personality tests on their dating profiles. But are personality tests accurate and what do they tell us? I'm Dashran Johan and this is Today I Learned. On the show with me today is Dr. Eugene T. He's an associate professor in psychology. Welcome to the show, Eugene. Welcome back. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Dashran. So good to see you again. So before we talk about personality tests, as a psychologist, what does personality mean? Mm, So in the psychological sciences, Dashran, personality is, and I'm just quoting a formal definition here, it's a consensus among psychologists that personality is a coherent pattern of emotion, action, and thought that determines a person's adjustment to the environment. So if I break that down even further, I would say in my interpretation, it's an individual's tendency to act, feel, and think in a certain way. That's characteristic of who they are and what they experience in their environment. What are your overall thoughts on personality tests? Do you like them? I, I do like them. And here I would also maybe just just cross my mind, Ashran, to contrast personality with character personality as we have understood it in the psychological sciences Mm -hmm. is what I would call value-free. So you mentioned at the start that your friends have posted their MBTI results on Mm -hmm. their social media pages, right? Mm So there's um, no way for us to say that introversion is better than extroversion or vice versa. Uh, So that's differentiated from a character. Uh, So we don't say that it's better to be high in one and low on the other. But we'll get into the details in a bit. My personal opinion is that I do use personality tests in my role as a lecturer, as a researcher, but also for my own self-reflection and personal development. Again, I'm sure we'll get into this later, but I think you briefly mentioned at the start, Ashram, that there have been a whole plethora, a whole range of interesting clickbait type Mm -hmm. um, personality tests. So I've just stumbled across... Uh, you know, ones that read, which Star Wars, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones character are you? Take right. this personality to find out. Mm-hmm. And so they are interesting, but over the years, I've come to differentiate between tests, in this case, personality tests, which are scientifically validated and those which are more just for fun. So the latter being those which are not necessarily an accurate representation of an individual's personality. So when you say scientifically validated, what exactly does that mean? Um, you know, because whether we look at, let's say, something like MBTI or something else, um, the one of the personality tests that you recommended that we'll also talk about um, in this conversation, um, mm-hmm. what separates that from what Disney princess are you? And what separates that also from, let's say, something like horoscopes, which also tend to, you know, put people's characters and personalities into categories. Right. Wow, that's a great question to ask, Asha. I'm glad you asked that because in the process of developing a measure, something that is scientifically validated, the developers would rely on two important pillars for establishing scientific validity. 
Uh, and this is um, the two pillars are validity and reliability. So in a nutshell, when we say that a test is scientifically valid and reliable, you can think of the analogy of a bullseye. It hits the target. It hits the center point, which tells us that a test is an accurate reflection of that one underlying personality characteristics. So if the item measures extroversion, then it measures only extroversion. The second characteristic is reliability. The test does so, and it returns scores on extroversion or introversion or whichever other personality trait in a consistent manner. So you can find or you can sort of imagine a lot of bullet points or, you know, strikes on the center of the bullseye. This is where we say that a test is both accurate and consistent in returning scores that reflect an individual's extroversion or whichever other trait, right? And and. There's a lot of time and effort that goes into the development of these tests. It's an entire research program by itself. It takes years to formulate the items to make sure that they are both valid and reliable and extending on that as well, Dashan, uh, without getting into too much of the details before I geek out here, is to also be able to show that the test results predict what we expect it to predict. Right. It also distinguishes that personality trait from other similar constructs, right? So someone who is extroverted, uh, their scores will be certainly different and distinct from the scores that they return on a measure of agreeableness or sociability or friendliness. So a lot of time and effort goes into that. I, I like the fun tests, but as <laughs> a researcher, as a skeptic, um, I'm more inclined to follow along with the, the, the more scientifically validated measures. Well, on that note, I should just say hmm. that I'm now curious as to which Disney princess, I am. Moana. Now, Eugene, I'm wondering, um, how do you take, uh, or how do we take personality tests properly? Mm -hmm. Because how do we ensure, and, and this is a problem that I tend to run into when taking personality tests as right. well. How do you ensure that you're answering truthfully and not putting down answers that you perceive yourself to be or answers that you wish to be true of yourself? Dashan, are you sure you've not taken a class on psychometrics before? <laughs> because these are the exact questions that people ask. Um, you're right. This is indeed a common challenge. And across the history of the development of psychological tests, it's a problem called respondent faking. So when it comes to, say, high stakes tests, and we've seen personality tests being used to assess for job suitability when applicants apply for jobs. And what should I respond to on this questionnaire, on this test, so that it nudges me towards being called in for a follow-up interview? So it is indeed plausible, and there's been research that tells us that people do respond in what we call a socially desirable manner. And mm -hmm. these are responses that reflect more of who I think the test administrator wants me to be rather than right. who I actually am. Right. And if you're curious, I looked this up as well because I myself am a curious individual. Uh, there are certain traits that tend to be exaggerated. So mm. it says something about a societal or cultural ideal that these are traits which are valued. And which traits are these? Well, people tend to exaggerate their scores on extroversion. So it's good mm -hmm. to be energetic, to be gregarious. At one point in time, in the 1930s, Dashwin, um, Harvard admission policies favor the extroverted, extroverted male. Right. right. The university has no need for the contemplative, I'm not quoting this word for word, but um, all in all, the statement states that we would run, want someone who is energetic, gregarious, sociable, extroverted. The university has no need for the contemplative, quiet, solitude, 
um, you know, individual who prefers solitude tends to keep to themselves. So a preference for an extrovert ideal over an introvert ideal. And that shows up still in our, um, you know, in, in the tests that people take uh, recently. Um, other personality traits, uh, just to round off the answer here, emotional stability, someone mm -hmm. who is less prone to feeling stressed out from negative emotions. Of course, this is the one other trait that is often exaggerated is directedness or what psychologists call or conscientiousness. So how, right. how hardworking, organized, diligent you are, uh, that also tends to be exaggerated. And one last trait, um, openness to experience. Mm. I mean, if the message out there is to say that we want someone who is keen to learn, receptive of feedback, then it makes no surprise Darshan, that people will say, yeah, I'm open to experiences. So with that in mind, um, would it be wise to consult someone, someone you're close to, perhaps your best friend, your partner, your parent, whatever it may be, um, mm. while taking personality tests? Or do you still, or, or is it preferred that we, you know, sit in a quiet room somewhere just with our thoughts, ourselves, and take the personality test? You already answered your own question, Nashran. <laughs> so I think uh, a two-pronged approach is beneficial. I think what right. you're suggesting is um, something that's very akin to a 360-degree evaluation. So you're being evaluated not just by people who manage, supervise, or lead you, but you're also um, assessed and rated on those personality dimensions or performance criteria uh, by the people that you yourself manage. So having conducted this well informally uh, within my workplace, I can see that it circumvents biases uh, inherent in just relying on what we call self-reports. So if you complete the questionnaire personality test yourself, right, then that's your assessment of who you are. Uh, but sometimes I think the saying goes that some people know you better than you know yourself. There are mm -hmm. certain manifestations of your personality, your behaviors, right, that others observe that you may not entirely be uh, aware of. So having that additional assessor is, um, is beneficial. Uh, but yeah, I, I think even if you don't have um, and someone else to actually check in with for the results of your personality test. I mean, if you're going to take a personality test by yourself, you know, lying on it is really just no better than deceiving yourself, right? right. So be honest in your responses. Another question that just popped into mind, you know, people also tend to have different identities in different settings. Now, it doesn't mean mm -hmm. that they are becoming a completely different person, but oh, yeah. there are perhaps um, some people may be a little bit more energetic in certain circumstances with certain types of people. Where they are, but when they are in the office, um, maybe they're just quiet and they just prefer to sit in a corner. Um, yeah. And and that goes with with uh, you know all sorts of different traits as well. Um, you know, some people are more open with their friends rather than with their parents. Um, mm -hmm. You know, their parents may see them as someone who's very reserved, but their friends will, will tell you that they are an open book. So for mm -hmm. I, and I think a lot of us are like this to some degree. Um, mm. How do we then, how does the personality test account for these things? Interesting. And I think we're veering into the complexity, Dashan, of mm -hmm. the sort of interplay between personality and identity. Right. So in the personality sciences, we'll find that personality tends to be mostly stable. Um, and you do find some changes. People tend to get mm. a little bit more you know, the common language is, well, they, they mellow down after a couple of years. They right. become less emotionally reactive, I suppose, with age <laughs> comes wisdom. But when we're thinking about personality as a whole, they tend to be generally stable across the lifespan. Yes, changes, I acknowledge, but generally stable. But when you're describing that individuals moving from one social context or one environment to the next, 
I think different aspects of their identity come into play a bit more. You mentioned it. When I'm with my friends, I'm the funny one, I'm the jovial one. Maybe that's something, uh, it, this has something to do with my relationship with my own parents, right? So suddenly I feel a lot more at ease at opening up and expressing other aspects of my identity and personality in certain social contexts than we are in others. I think that's a term, um, and we use that again in common language as quite indicative of this, a social chameleon, a social butterfly, right? So certainly, uh, just going back to the definition early on personality, it manifests itself, but in the acknowledgement that there are certain things in the environment that bring out certain aspects of our personality more than others. So, I'm the funny one with my friends, but <laughs> I'm the studious one, I'm the responsible one in my family. So yeah, it goes, goes hand in hand, personality and identity. Right. So Let's talk about, um, you know, perhaps the most popular personality test out there, which is the 16 personalities Myers-Briggs type indicator test. Um, mm -hmm. Before we talk about our results, um, just have a discussion on that. Um, what can you tell me about this test? Give me an overview of this test. Mm -hmm. So the MBTI is the work of a mother and daughter team, Catherine Briggs and Isabel Myers, who base their classification on Carl Jung's psychological types. So personally, and as much as this might maybe irk or challenge some listeners, <laughs> they definitely will disagree with me on this. I don't think the MBTI holds up to scientific scrutiny. Right. It isn't in a psychometric sense, a trustworthy measure of personality. So I would advise caution of using this for high stakes testing. I've heard stories of companies who've paid a lot of money for MBTI testing, and they would get their participants to plaster a badge, a four-letter code that defines their personality type on their clothing. And yeah, so I'd say it's interesting, somewhat revealing, but the skeptic and the researcher in me tells me that it does not hold up to scientific scrutiny. So before we talk about your favorite personality tests, let's dive into this popular one, um, this course, MBTI, and yeah. and and then we we can uh, perhaps um, explore the shades, what where it may be inaccurate, and and, and so on and so forth. So mm -hmm. um, I'm very curious to know what your personality type is, Eugene. Um, <laughs> mine is INFJ advocate. What do you make of that, and what's yours? Oh, that is interesting. We're not too far off. Mm. I wanted to guess, but you took the answer out of me. Uh, there's only one dimension where you and I differ, and that's the third dimension. I am an INTJA. Right. right so that's the, uh, which labels me as an assertive architect. So I think when it comes to the use of, unfortunately, it's the third dimension where we differ. Mm -hmm. Then I can speak a little bit more on it, right? right. The reliance on cognition, deliberation, rationality, or the reliance on emotion, mm -hmm. right, which is your F component. So uh, I think we are both similar in a sense that we prefer fewer, more meaningful interactions, um, imaginative right. and open-minded. Mm -hmm. uh, we are organized, planful, and thorough. I think that shows up on so many occasions when you get in touch with me for conversations like this. <laughs> so I suppose the only, but I don't think it's a... Um, it's a it's a big difference because if I scrutinize my score for that, Ashran, mm -hmm. uh, I, I tend to have maybe about just slightly over 50%, closer to about 60% T over F. Might right. also interest you to know a long while ago, I took the same test and I got INFJ, right? And, and I think that's interesting because it tells us something about the concerns with this personality test. 
many a times if you take the test at one point in time and you take it again later, you get a different kind. Right. So that happened to me as well. So for the for a long, I remember, I think I the first time I took the test, I mm-hmm. was um, what I am right now, which is INFJ. And mm-hmm. then during the pandemic, I took the test again. And, and at mm-hmm. that time when I took the test, I became an ISFJ. Mm-hmm. Um, and then now I'm back to INFJ because I took the test yesterday in uh, preparing for, for this, uh, um, this interview. So I, I, and then once again, I got INFJ. So what accounts for those kinds of shifts? That's interesting. Uh, certainly life experiences, as you've mm. mentioned, but the, the criticism that is often leveled against the MBTI is precisely the experience that we both have, that the results that we attained during one point in time when we took the test is very different from what we got later on. Right. So when you want to establish a scientifically valid and reliable test, you also need to establish that it fulfills a criteria called test-retest reliability. Mm. The results of my measure using the same instrument is consistent from point one time point one and time point two. If it varies, and I think by some estimates, about 75% of the individuals or people who've taken the MBTA find out, hey, I got a different type from the last time. So that is a cause for concern where the instrument is, um, um, is, is involved. So how then, how would you respond to the argument that the reason your result is different is because of exactly that? Um, people go through different life experiences. Maybe when you took it before this, you were not a father and then now you are a father, for example, or different phases in your life. Maybe you had just gone through uh, a severe breakup or did you just lost a, a job and that changed your entire perspective of life and, and so on and so forth. How would you respond to the argument that this is why when we take the MBTI test after a period of time, when we do it again, then we get a different result and sometimes then we get go back to the same result. Um, how do you respond to that? I, I think that's a great question. I don't think I have a straight answer to it though, because this is a challenge that also is uh, something that developers of other personality tests also have to grapple with. Hmm. Look, there are changes, subtle changes in our personality. Does that mean that the change is caused by the individual and their experiences? Certainly, that is a possibility. But if the change is attributed to something about the measure, then the developers will probably need to update the measure. They'll need to refine. They'll need to check in with the norms of the population. So intelligence tests, although not personality, intelligence tests have been refined and normed over the decades because of something called the Flynn effect. People are getting smarter, essentially. Mm. That's what the Flynn effect is. Right. So the tests themselves also need to adjust and adapt to current norms. I'm not sure if there's any trend, um, so to speak. I mean, the pandemic was a, we want to put it as a distant memory, but it, it wouldn't surprise me, and this is purely conjecture at this stage, to think of people who become more reserved, be a little bit more contemplative, a little bit more um, to themselves, introverted, right? I, I don't have evidence to support this, but it, it would just make intuitive sense that an event such as a global pandemic would cause people to be a lot more careful, cautious, and isolated from others. Right. Um, also, since we are, you know, we are discussing personality tests, I'm wondering, um, you know, and this is, I guess, ties back to um, something I mentioned earlier, which is like, you know, what um, separates, let's say, a scientifically validated 
um, personality test from even something as ridiculous as, um, you know, what Disney princess are you or even horoscopes and things like that. Because even mm. when you take personality tests, um, you may come across certain results where you find, huh, that doesn't necessarily apply to me. Um, mm. You know, it's completely um, off to you know, how other people, my closest friends would describe me or how I would describe myself. Would you mm. say that in these instances, it's most likely just just like in a situation of just like any test you do, it's not going to be 100% accurate or is it could be a situation where we are not understanding ourselves properly or is it a situation where we just didn't take the test properly? You know, a, a, a situation... Because a lot of these tests, it's... You know, they give you a range. Is it very, like very like me? Very, very like me? You know, things like that. And and sometimes your own bearings of your own self, um, the calculations can be a little bit off in that sense. Mm, absolutely. A whole host of different factors, mm. including the ones that you have just mentioned. It could be a concern with the, the questionnaire itself, the way in which certain items are phrased. There could also be... A, an intention, right? And this this tends to apply mostly to non-scientifically validated tests. I have known friends who have set up separate email accounts simply because they took a personality test that didn't sort them into their desired house right. in the Harry Potter universe. No, no, I don't <laughs> want to be Hufflepuff. I think I'm Ravenclaw, right? right? So you get, yeah. So <laughs> I, I think there are concerns that, you know, when you take a test, you're not getting or you're not really expecting to get the results that you that you take. Uh, I think for that reason, I think you brought another good point. People like a label. I think that also speaks to the appeal of the MBTI. So the most robust, the most uh, validated measure of personality in the psychological sciences is the big five, what mm -hmm. we call the ocean factors. Right. So ocean stands for, just very quickly, openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. But your scores on each of this dimension, as far as I can tell, doesn't label you a particular characteristic. So right. an INTJ is supposedly a, a, a strategist or an architect or a mastermind. Cool, I've got a label. So one of the ways, one of the reasons I would think that the MBTIs, you know, still retains so much popular appeal is simply because of that categorization and the fact that it's been so, so extensively marketed compared to the big five. I think you really broke things down really well there, and especially when you said people like labels. I definitely see where you're coming from when it comes to you know why these MBTI tests are so popular because it it perhaps gives you a little bit of that same feeling that you get when taking that that Harry Potter type of personality test, right? Where you are a Gryffindor. And, and, oh, and it's that same yeah. thing where, you know, now you are an INFJ advocate, for example. And it, oh, yeah. it sort of puts you in this box and then you go around looking for other people who may be also in that box. It's, it's a badge of honour for some people to put it on, on their social media profiles and whatnot. I think that's very, very interesting, Eugene. Let's go for a very quick break. On the show with me today is Dr. Eugene T. He's an Associate Professor in Psychology. After the break, we will be discussing... Um, Dr. Eugene's favourite personality test. Keep it here on Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Today I Learned. I'm Dashran Johan and on the show with me today is Dr. Eugene T, Associate Professor in Psychology and we're talking about personality tests. So Eugene, um, 
uh, yesterday when I was messaging you to prepare um, for this um, interview, so I was asking you, um, what do you, what are your thoughts are on the uh, Myers-Briggs type indicator? And then um, you, you gave me a little bit of your opinion on it. And then you said that you prefer um, something, you sent me the link and it's called VIA Character Strengths Inventory. Why is this um, a preference of yours? Well, the uh, VIA Character Strengths Inventory is a more recent addition to the science of personality. So it's mm-hmm. fresh, new. And um, just to acknowledge my personal interests, it's born out of the positive psychology movement that is now about just actually only about three decades old. Mm-hmm. So compared to other personality measures, I've mentioned earlier that the Big Five is, you know, it's it's not an assessment or a judgment of character, but the VIA is, and the VIA assesses our strengths. And these are parts of our personality that help us do well for ourselves, to do good for ourselves and those around us. And I especially like the VIA because it's the antithesis to the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Psychological Disorders. So the VIA moves the assessment of the human condition and human personality from and I quote, from what's wrong to what's strong, right? So it's one of my personal favorites since I started work in positive psychology recently. And of course, like any other psychological test, the big five, certainly the MBTI, the VR also has uh, its strengths and limitations. Did you enjoy taking the test? I really, really did. And one thing I noticed, um, especially after listening to what you had to say before the break, is that this test doesn't put you in a particular category and it doesn't give you like, this is your label. Go and put it on your Instagram profile, right? It doesn't have. Instead, what it does is it's very interesting. It sort of gives you your top strengths, your mid strengths and your lesser strengths. And I think that's another thing very interesting you pointed out. Instead of saying, this is what you're rubbish at, (laughs) you know, in, in that sense. Not that many personality tests do that to that extent but what it, it, it sort of says that these are all your strengths but which is more of your strength and which Absolutely. you perhaps need to work on a little bit more so I'm going to share mine then uh, I want to I'm really curious to know what yours are as well so my uh, top strengths are judgment curiosity love love of learning and perspective I'm just going to put aside the mid strength so that we just don't go off listing everything uh, my mm-hmm. bottom strengths are humor creativity perseverance and self-regulation what do you make of that? And I'm very curious to know yours. Fascinating results, Stasher. I want to commend you first and foremost for using the language of strengths correctly because mm-hmm. many times when people take the VIA, their assessment is that, oh, my top five are my strengths and my bottom five are my weaknesses. You've used the terms accurately in depicting mm-hmm. that these are my most used strengths, what we call our signature strengths. And then you also make use of the correct term for mid-strengths and my least used strengths. Right. So my top five strengths are, and there's, again, some overlap. Mm. So my top five are creativity, judgment, humility, perspective, and prudence. So I think we have a few overlaps. And I think these are fairly accurate. And did did the results surprise you, I should ask? Uh, I wouldn't say it surprised me. I would say it actually paints a more accurate picture although it is okay what i'll say is when i took the test it doesn't give you give you that sense of 
euphoria, so to speak, that or that momentary mm. euphoria you feel when taking the MBTI type of test. Uh, yeah, and I yeah. think it is because of that, you know, you don't get a label which you then can put a, make a T-shirt and, and wear everywhere, right? <laughs> um, yeah. But when you actually go through and, and the way they, they sort of arranged it, I mm. think it speaks more accurately to who I am, what mm-hmm. my strengths are and what um, strengths I may have but may not be using it as often, things that I should be working on. So as a overall, I would say that I'm very, very satisfied with, with the test results. Yeah, it's great. The uh, VIA is free. I, I don't work for VIA. I've taken training <laughs> from them. Right. Um, I've not done research on this, but I, I think that's so much practical value. I think you've just provided an, an excellent testimony on the value of focusing on strengths, Dasha, and to acknowledge that this is not a label, but this brings to the realization, to the fore of my consciousness, that these are things that I already do well. Right. These are my virtues. These are maybe even, Dasha, you might have gone around asking, you can pair this with a 360-degree evaluation, and you'll find that your colleagues, your friends say, yep, that describes you to it. You're, mm-hmm. you're loving, kind, um, person, you you also have this natural curiosity about you, right? So that really stands out. And I think that can be both very empowering. Can you imagine, Dashwin, if we moved conversations about bringing out the best in people, not by fixating on their limitations, but telling you, Dashwin, this is already what you do so well. This is second nature to who you are. Keep doing this. I would love to see more of that in you, in everything that you do for the company. So I think conversations like that can be really empowering and it's really in line with the movement, the positive psychology movement in emphasizing what's right and what strengths people and organizations already have and to leverage on those. So now that we have taken these personality tests, what do we do with it? What do these tests tell us? And more importantly, what don't they tell us? Mm. So I, I think it's, Another aspect, and again, I'm going to ask you, have, are you sure you've not taken a class, an undergraduate class, <laughs> psychological testing before? So what do personality tests tell us and what don't they tell us? Well, there's a specific criterion in psychological testing, and it's called predictive validity. Mm. So if we break it down, it just only means and implies or assesses whether the personality test predicts a certain outcome. So you're right in saying that there is value in taking personality tests, but we also want to know what sorts of behaviors, what sorts of outcomes that these tend to predict. So classically, if we go back to the big five, conscientious, directed individuals, these people tend to do better academically. There's also studies um, from uh, conducted by researchers on the VIA to say that people who recognize and who use their strengths they tend to perform better at work. They also tend to enjoy their relationships to a whole larger degree than someone right. who is unaware of their strengths. Right. So uh, beyond just giving us a description of who we are, good tests, psychometrically validated, scientifically validated tests can also help us predict behaviors. I, I should note here, just to jump in very, very quickly, mm-hmm. right, that there's even some studies that tell us that the sensitivity towards negative emotions is not necessarily a bad thing. So one study has found that if you're sensitive to negative emotions, but you're also high in directedness, you become what I like to call a careful hypochondriac. (laughs) You become a lot more careful about what you eat. You make sure you go on your regular health checkups. And as a whole, conscientious neurotic individuals tend to enjoy better health. 
right? And this is borne out of studies that show what these two characteristics predict. So there's predictive validity of conscientiousness and neuroticism. I'm wondering, um, Eugene, from a psychological perspective, how much do cultures impact how our personality manifests? Um, and, and this could be, you know, cultures that come about from, from a geographic set, uh, when we're looking at it, right, either geographically or ethnically or linguistically. Um, and I'm wondering if personality tests can be culturally biased since a, a majority of these personality tests uh, do come from the West or the English-speaking world at large. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if there are there could be tendencies of biasness and whatnot um, within these tests. Absolutely. Absolutely spot on. Short answer. Yes, they can. Culture shapes a lot and um, of, of who we are, how we think. Uh, it shapes our language. And so even right down, Dashan, to the use of language and certain terms, on the personality test, people are gonna, um, you know, across different cultural contexts and societies, cultures interpret them differently. Even the most robust model, which I mentioned earlier, the Big Five, um, just within an Asian context, some researchers in China, for instance, say that yeah, this is all like you said, developed in the West. So we need to account for more indigenous, more ethnically sensitive measures mm-hmm. of personality. So going beyond the Big Five, maybe traits such as face. Social harmony, uh, that can certainly um, it, you know, impact how people interpret and respond to personality tests. I have firsthand experience on this as well. At the risk of sounding a little bit technical, but if just, it's just no, for no, your curiosity. Please. Let's geek out. <laughs> Let's geek out. All right. um, there's a problem called, in, in when we're developing measures, it's a problem called measurement invariance. Right. right? So put, what it means is that, um, that the personality tests and items are interpreted differently across different groups of individuals. That's that's the long and short of it, right? So one example comes from a study which I conducted many years ago. So I administered a personality test, mm-hmm. and one participant in my study asked me to explain an item, and you would think that this is fairly easy to understand. This item, the item read, "I'm someone who is depressed, comma blue," and so the word blue actually caught out the participants. Uh, right. This particular participant, he didn't understand why why blue or color was included on the item. Another item on this same personality test uh, reads, I am someone who is sophisticated in art, music, and literature. To one person, that might mean sophistication in terms of skill and ability. I'm talented across these three areas, right? Mm. But to me, it just means, well, I'm aware. I know a little bit of something across these three areas of the humanities. So all in all, Dashan, if participants interpret the wordings of the personality test differently because of language, culture, ethnic differences, they will also likely respond to them differently. This raises a problem because then the results between one group and the other are inequivalent or they're less comparable. Right. So can personality tests be useful tools for personal development or even, let's say, ch- career choices? Let's say you're a 17 or 18-year-old, you've just finished your school, your high school or your A-levels, and you're like, okay, what do I do next? I'm not sure. Sh- could personality tests be a helpful tool to help people decide what they should do or is there a risk there? Oh, Absolutely. I, I think if you use valid and reliable measures, they can go some way towards helping you mm. enhance your self-awareness. Um, you know, personality, as we've discussed, is the general tendency to be. So these are how you tend to act, feel, and behave 
you know, uh, as an individual. So this realization is important. I think one of the core Delphic maxims is, and I remind my students to, well, cultivate any approach that enhances your ability to know yourself, know thyself, just right. those two words, right? So definitely go beyond the big five. I think with valid and reliable measures, they can give you the confidence and the accuracy to know yourself a whole lot better. Beyond the big five, you can take measures of, um, let's see, optimism, how you regulate your emotions. Um, I, I find it interesting that it's even measures of intellectual humility. <laughs> so can you imagine the challenge that goes into developing such a measure, right? No one wants to consider themselves arrogant or boastful. So right. yeah, there, there are valid measures of intellectual humility. So taking these measures, completing these personality tests, having an open discussion and comparison of your results with your friends, family members, right? That can invite opportunities for self-reflection, conversations about who you want to be and which environment suits you best for your career. I just have a couple more questions. Um, can personality tests end up, end up being self-fulfilling prophecies? And I think um, especially understanding these personality tests better Perhaps this question applies more to the MBTI type of personality test that puts you in boxes and gives you a particular label rather mm -hmm. than one that lists your strengths, right? Mm -hmm. or, and, and, or, you know, strengths at various levels. Now, mm -hmm. I'm wondering if, let's say, we take the MBTI kind of personality test and um, which especially it is known to be, you know, give you different results at different times when you take it. I'm wondering, you take it today and it says that you are this, right? Mm -hmm. And whether it could be something that you may like or not like or whatever it may be, it could, it could uh, swing both ways. But I'm wondering if that could then end up being a self-fulfilling prophecy because you took the test, you, are, you put yourself in this box or the test put you in this box and then you become that box um, as you develop, you know, as you as you progress in life. Is there a risk of that happening? I'm strangely glad you brought up the MBTI again, despite mm -hmm. my criticism of induction. And to answer your question, maybe we'll start by, hey, do you know which fictional MBTI characters of your type um, have appeared on your search? So an INFJ is like which fictional character? Can you list a few? So... Uh, Galadriel, Professor Albus Dumbledore, okay. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Nice. Yeah, those are the popular ones that are coming up. Okay. So when we're talking about self-fulfilling prophecies, mm -hmm. right, I would share with you that I thought it was uber cool that other fellow INTJs include Severus Snape. <laughs> I also got Doctor Strange and Beth Harmon from The Queen's Gambit, mm -hmm. along with Wednesday Adams, right? So right. It, it's it's nice. As much as I've been critical of the MBTI, it's almost like horoscope for psychologists. Right. Right? <laughs> um, I think that's I, really I, and, well and like, oh, look, I'm, I'm happy to admit, right, and this mm -hmm. is going to be listened to a lot of people, right? But my scientific mind is going to think that, no, I'm not going to use it for research, right? But it, it just, just for casual conversations and because it's such a popular test, sure, why not? At least one of the dimensions there, introversion, extroversion, is a psychological tendency. So we could go with that. So when it comes to self-fulfilling prophecies, I'm inclined to say yes to this, the categorization and the putting you in that neat, tidy boxes. I, I 
don't like the MBTI, but I strangely like it when people think, wow, this guy's an INTJ. <laughs> right. As far as I can tell... No, it, it, makes, it makes me feel very good that they put me in the same category as Albus Dumbledore. And Obi-Wan Kenobi. And Obi-Wan Kenobi, exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, as far as I can tell, at least speaking from the empirical evidence, there is there's, uh, very few, as n- no, not a lot that I've come across that tells us that personality tests... Uh, has self-fulfilling prophecy. So again, we're just relying on our experience with just one test, in this case, the MBTI. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> just one other study that I've been able to draw up. Mm-hmm. Um, these, this was a study conducted in Japan a couple of years back. And when they asked people to complete a personality test, they gave them bogus results. So if you were a participant in the right. test, that's right. Said, hey, you are you're actually extroverted. I say, really? I thought I was introverted. Mm-hmm. No. But if I gave you bogus feedback, like people are more likely to fit in into that trait. So you're going to behave a lot more extroverted despite your initial suspicions and understandings that you were introverted. So if I gave you bogus feedback, if I told you that you are Elvis Dumbledore, Lisa Simpson, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you might fit in into and express behaviors that are reflective of those famous characters. Mm-hmm. Right. So that is, I, I think that is, I I think we could probably design a study for this. It also, in a larger sense, right, Dashan tells us that uh, personality is, to some extent, malleable, right? And this one, I, I can tell you that if you ask an introverted person to behave more extrovertedly, they get the benefits, the social and well-being benefits that comes with extroversion, even if they are, by default, an introvert. Right, absolutely. I think this has been a very, very wonderful, um, fascinating conversation Um, Eugene, before we wrap it up, would you have a final message for us on personality tests? Mm, I do. And this conversation has got me to reflect so much on personality, personality tests. So I'll say that first, personality is not destiny, but rather general tendency. You can change your personality. Valid and reliable personality tests are a great way to know yourself better. And last but not least, if you do take personality tests, my advice is, Take it, but don't fake it. (laughs) And on that note, Eugene, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure, Dutchman. Always a pleasure. That was Dr. Eugene T, Associate Professor in Psychology. If you missed any part of this conversation, we're also available on podcasts. You can find us on Spotify, the BFM app, or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dutchman Johan, and this has been Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.